am the true vine, and my Father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me, and I will remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If if anyone does not remain in me, he is like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up and thrown into the fire and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be given you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. This is the word of the Lord and we believe it. We're talking in this series about the, the difference between a believer and a disciple. And I talked about this last week, but ultimately, you can believe and not be a disciple. And the difference, I think, if if I'm understanding the text and understanding my own experience, is that God's presence is what makes the shift. If you look at at what um, the disciples in the New Testament were like, they were disciples largely because they were with the, the rabbi, right? And, and the idea within Judaism, within that, that early kind of context, is that it wasn't just to know what the rabbi knew. So it's not knowledge transfer that's going on. The difference was to be like the rabbi. Does this make sense? And I think that ultimately being in his presence is the thing that makes us like him. So you can believe, I mean, you can have mental assent to all of this. You can say, well, yeah, Jesus was who he said he was, and, and he did the things that he said that he did, and, and yes, he died on the cross for my sins, and he was resurrected, and all of that, and, and whatnot, and you still not be a disciple. So the difference, I think, is really this idea of the presence of God. And Jesus talks about that very fact in this passage that we just read, John chapter 15. And if you remember, this is the last time Jesus is with his disciples on earth. They're in the upper room. It's just before he gets um, arrested and tried and crucified and all that. And so John, the youngest of all the disciples, is just soaking all of this in. And he's writing this down and he's trying to remember it. And so we, we, we have this It's called the farewell discourse at the end of John. Because John is trying to remember what his rabbi said so that he could actually be like the rabbi. The difference between a believer and a disciple is God's presence. Now, some of you know that I enjoy gardening. And uh, over the last year or so, I've been doing some gardening in my yard and trying to produce fruit, which is really funny because I don't eat a whole lot of fruit, but my, my wife and kids do. And so I'm, I'm trying to, to, to build this, um, this garden. And recently I came across something. It's called backyard orchard culture, which is just kind of fancy way of, of saying, make, you know, planting fruit trees in your backyard, I guess. But anyway, um, 
this, this guy is notorious for it. I forget, I forget his first name. He works for a company called Dave Wilson Nursery out in California, and so I think he's Dave Wilson, but he's not. He's, uh, he's uh, somebody who works for that company. And, and you'll notice something about the tree that he's standing next to. And the idea behind this backyard orchard is that the average fruit tree, um, commercially speaking, needs to produce a certain number of pounds of fruit every single year, like hundreds and hundreds of pounds. And so it's got to be the size and shape and order produce that fruit. Those of you who have been to Florida, you've seen this in the orange groves. If you've lived up north, you've seen it in apple orchards, so on and so forth. You've seen these things, giant trees and these mechanical things that go in and, and, and harvest every single year. But the difference is in a backyard type of situation, you're not, you don't have to produce hundreds of pounds of fruit. It's perfectly acceptable to produce, you know, 20 to maybe 40 pounds of fruit because then you get enough for yourself and you get enough for the people around you. And you have different varieties in order to have some biodiversity so that it, it you know, you're not eating only one thing. And so these guys um, came up with this idea of saying, what happens if we just kind of keep a tree at roughly six to eight feet so the average person can reach and harvest everything off of that tree? Does this make sense? I mean, you know, there's a part of me that's like, well, duh, why didn't I think of that? You know, you don't have to have the great big apple tree that, you know, everybody I know who's got an apple tree in their yard that they kind of let go, it's just got stuff all around it. You know, I mean, have you experienced this? You don't even want to go back there because you might be stepping on rotten fruit or whatever. But a smaller one where you can actually pick those things off makes a little more sense. <clears throat> so, um, not too long ago, I came across a video. In fact, it was this gentleman here who, who, uh, who recorded it. He did something interesting. He had... Um, kind of your standard fruit tree that you would get at any nursery. It was probably a single stick with a few branches on it, maybe eight, nine feet tall. You've seen these, right? Um, you go to Home Depot or Lowe's and you can find them there. But he had this really tall tree and, and what he did is he had this beautiful kind of garden setting and he planted the tree in the ground and he had it all and he had a very specific way of doing it. And then he walked up and he took a pair of loppers you know, loppers are, right? Those big things like this. And uh, he said, okay, now we're going to prune the tree for, for a backyard type of orchard. And I will never forget this. He walked up to it, put it right next to his knee, put the loppers by his knee, and cut it off knee height. Eight, ten, maybe ten foot tree down to knee height. I got to tell you, it was a little shocking. You're like, whoa, wait a second. So now there's just a little stick in the ground. Kind of a thing. It looked weird, right? What is he doing? And then he showed, the video clip was um, approximately you know, four or five months later, and it was this beautiful little tree. Not too different than the one he's standing next to. But he lopped it off way down there pruned it uh, in the extreme, right? But he ended up with a tree five feet tall. Look how much fruit's on that tree. That tree is probably, you know, since the time he cut it, maybe two years old, would be my guess, and it's producing that kind of fruit. It's fascinating to watch that. 
And yet, there's this part of me that it's like, oh my gosh, you, you really had to, there's a part of me, I'm a little scared to do it because I'm afraid I'm going to kill that tree, right? I'm going to end up not with a backyard orchard, but I'm going to end up with a backyard, you know, full of, of little sticks in the ground or like, you know, Charlie Brown trees, right? I mean, I don't want that. But I'll tell you, I've got several fruit trees, and as soon as the uh, weather gets cooler again, probably in January, I'm going out there, and they're all going knee-high. Because I want to see how this thing works. So if you come to my house, and you see little sticks coming out of the ground, you'll know that I kind of went overboard with this. I want you to note something that Jesus says. He says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the gardener. We talked about that last week. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that that does bear fruit, he prunes that it might bear more fruit. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my what? Disciples. And I think this is an important thing. Um, think, Think about this with me just for a moment. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. Now the word in Greek here is not very interesting. It means to take away, to remove, to get rid of it, okay? Don't be impressed. You can look it up too, right? So the the point is, is that it literally is removed. It's a very common sort of word. But then he says this, and every branch that does not bear fruit, or every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, and, and the word here is fascinating because it's often used with, with to make clean. And we get the word catharsis from it. Catharos is the term. But you know, something is cathartic, kind of cleanse your soul. That's where it comes from. It cleanses your soul. It prunes your soul. Think of it that way. And so even if the branch is producing fruit, it's going to be pruned just a little bit more so that it bears what? More fruit. This makes sense. And ultimately, and I think this is what's so beautiful, is that you bear much fruit and prove that you're my disciples. And it seems to me that God expects fruit, right? Because why would you plant a tree, a fruit tree, and, 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 and not expect to have some fruit? I mean, that doesn't, that doesn't make any sense. There's actually purpose to it. So God expects some fruit. And I think it's kingdom fruit. In the sense that it's good, it's salt, it's light, it's those things that make life better for other people. And maybe it even involves alleviating the suffering of others because when you eat fruit, right, you satiate some hunger, it tastes good, at least for some people, right? You have these things that are going on and there's this purpose behind the tree, behind the fruit, and so God expects fruit. And it's often, also often inferred um, that the gardener knows how to achieve that. I don't think about this for a moment. We talked a little bit about this last week, but the, the gardener has you know, some purpose behind all of this, but he also knows how to achieve it. And notice here that Jesus is talking about himself first. He starts with himself. And he says, look, if there's any part of me that isn't bearing fruit, God removes that. And even if something is, he's going to prune it so that it does more. And he's talking about himself. Now, it's inferred that it applies to us too, but that happens a little bit later in the passage. We're going to talk about that in a, in a couple of weeks. But pruning is part of the process and Jesus makes it known that this is happening in him 
just as much as it's happening in his disciples. Keep that in mind. Jesus is using himself first. But pruning is part of the process. Now, pruning is an odd thing, isn't it? I mean, not just, you know, lopping things off knee high, but when we talk about pruning a little bit, um, it kind of makes us a little uncomfortable. I mean, I think, I think we, we all get the concept, you know, because we've seen it. We've actually seen those orchards where things get pruned back. I, I remember the first time I saw this in, in Florida, because um, where my in-laws live, uh, lived, it was kind of in the center of the state, and so when you go down the highway, it was like Walmart, Orange Grove, Orange Grove, retirement community, Orange Grove, Walmart, Orange Grove. You know, you just, uh, this is what it was the entire way. And we were there at one point just after they had pruned the trees, and they run <coughs> these, these machines that uh, they're kind of, they got two sides and a top over them, and they just run them down the row, and so you've got these, these box-shaped trees. Have you seen this? They look ridiculous, right? But they just run them down, and they try to prune that. And then next year, when you see them, they're just loaded with all kinds of fruit. So we understand that pruning works. All of us get that. We have this conceptually. But the fact of the matter is that when it comes to pruning our own lives, yeah, I'm not, I'm not for that. That doesn't sound like fun. Right? Because it involves sharp <laughs> instruments or something. I don't... I don't know, but we, we start talking about pruning and we get a little uncomfortable because I think it seems painful. Pruning sounds painful. I mean, you know, when I told you that he lopped it off knee height, everybody in the room went like, oh. But it wasn't painful. The tree didn't feel anything. But the point is, is we, we get this and I think we, we believe that it might be a painful thing. So none of us really wants to go through that. And I think the other thing that happens is that when we talk about pruning, we presume that God is going to remove and prune those parts of life that we like. The fun stuff. Come on, be honest. You see, you're all laughing nervously because you know what I'm talking about. And let's be honest, the church has not helped at all when it comes to this. So how many of you grew up where you weren't supposed to play cards or dance? Yeah, right? Yeah, you can't do that because that leads to other things. And, and alcohol and romance and anything fun wasn't allowed in the church. And we made rules around that. And so when we hear about pruning and we think in terms of church and spirituality, our minds naturally jump to all the fun stuff. And yeah, I'm not sure I want to give all that up. But what if, just humor me for a moment, what if the gardener isn't pruning all of the fun stuff? What, what if? What if it isn't the fun stuff? You see, pruning is about removing what doesn't fruit. And things that do fruit to produce more of that kind of fruit. Now, sure, that means there are certain fun things that can distract us, especially if we do it in excess. But we already know this. And so, yeah, there might be times where God says, yeah, that, that thing you're doing, you might. But I want to suggest something today. I want to suggest that it's more likely that the gardener wants to prune 
What if the gardener wants to prune things like fear? Past pain. Those deep, wounded places in our heart. What if he wants to remove those? What if he wants to prune away bad theology that's not from God? What if he wants to prune away apathy? Because hate is not the opposite of love. Apathy is. What if he wants to prune away that? What if he wants to prune away shame? You see, those are the things I believe that keep us from fruiting, from producing the good fruit, because when we're afraid or if we're shameful or if we're dealing with past pain, we hold back. And we don't think that God can use us, which is a lie from the pit of hell itself. It's not true. Because God prunes for fruit. God believes that you can fruit, that you can bear much fruit and prove that you are a disciple. You know, sometimes I think, we, you know, we, we don't even know why we're hanging on to these things and God's been poking us for so long going, yeah, you don't need that anymore. You don't need that shame anymore. You don't need that, that pain. And I know it's hard to let go. I understand that and that's why God prunes it. He cuts it away, he removes it, he takes it out from us because it's not producing fruit. It's keeping us from doing that. I think that's what God most likely wants to do in us. And so we have to restore that in our own minds that we're not thinking in terms of just the fun stuff but rather the things that are truly holding us back. And so the point that I want to make today, the thing that I want you to walk out of here with, and, and this isn't rocket surgery, okay? I'm just going to tell you that right now. This isn't hard. This is something you've heard before, but I think it bears worth repeating over and over again. Trust the gardener. You've got to trust the gardener. And, and you have to be willing to say, okay, I don't understand how this all fits together, and I don't know how to do this, and I am going to probably trip and stumble. And the gardener says, that's okay. I get it. If I have to, I'll put some stakes in the ground and I'll, I'll put some guidelines up for you and I'll, I'll hold you in that place and, and if you need a little extra fertilizer, I can do that too and, and if it needs to be weeding, but if there's pruning that needs to happen, it's fine. Trust the gardener. The thing that I've been so surprised about is I learned to trust. And, and by the way, it isn't going to be, I didn't trust, now I trust. There's a learning curve to this. For some of us, it's really steep. And I need carabiners sometime to try to haul myself. You know, the point is, is that I'm trusting the gardener step by step. And, and what amazes me is sometimes the things that I think that I need to deal with, he's like, no, not yet. You're not there yet but we got this thing. But I don't want to deal with that thing. Well, we're going to deal with that thing. Okay, so we're going to, I got to trust the gardener. Does this make sense? Yeah. So trust the gardener. Because you know what? We all got stuff. We all got those branches, those things in us that aren't producing fruit. And frankly, some of them are diseased and they need to go. You don't need them anymore. So Family Sunday, like we do every month, 
We always take time to do communion. And uh, it's back over there if you didn't see it when you walked in. And when we do communion, it's, you know, I, I talk about this. It's this ancient ritual that Jesus gave us um, that not only connects us historically to the church, but it also connects us to people around the world because people all over the world are doing communion today. And it connects us to, to, to Jesus himself because he was the one who gave it to us. So what if, what if today, this is a new idea, this idea of pruning, or maybe you're thinking about it differently. So what if when you go and you take communion and you, you take the bread and you dip it in the juice and, and before you take it, say, God, I don't, I don't know the stuff that you want to prune, but I'm going to trust you. And then eat the bread. Or for more likely the case, you already know the stuff that needs to go. You know what you're afraid of. You know the hurt that you're hanging on to. You know the shame that you feel. So what if when you dip the bread into the juice and you held it for a moment, you said, oh God, will you prune that and take and eat it? And then listen for him. See what he says. Might be today, might be tomorrow, but to really listen to the things that he's trying to tell you. Because the difference between a believer and a disciple is somebody who lives in the presence of God. And so why don't you take the moment where we have this opportunity to commune with God himself and be in his presence. I want that for you. I want Thrive Church to be the kind of place where we prove to be his disciples time and time again. And I don't want anything holding us back from that. 